at the Tropicana, I was playing a double deck game over there. And I think this is before I got to where I was doing two by three. I think my top bet was two by 150, maybe two by 200, but I don't even think I'd gone that far yet. I was playing for a little while. Then I decided the night was over and I was headed to my room and that particular pit boss had taken a break and was coming towards me as I was leaving. And he said, what are you leaving? And I was like, yeah, I've had enough. And he goes, I know you've got $400 in that pocket. He must have seen me pull some money out at some point for a buy-in. He goes, I know you've got $400 more. I intended to, to take it all. Risk of Ruin is a podcast about gambling and life and their intersection. I'm John Reeder. This is The Road Warrior, part one. For about as long as we've had roads... The American Open Road has been a refuge for gamblers. A hundred years ago, the hustler and cheat Titanic Thompson went from town to town beating games honestly if he could, or, more likely, dishonestly when he had to. Decades later, Texas poker players like Doyle Brunson and Amarillo Slim made a living on the road. Today, the proliferation of casinos has created a new breed of road gambler. In a moment, we're going to meet Dan. He's a professional card counter, and he travels from casino to casino, living in a converted Sprinter van. Before Blackjack, Dan was working at a restaurant, and he found a website that teaches card counting. I didn't know what to do because my degree didn't pay. It was a degree in geology, and it didn't pay. Like, any entry-level field wasn't going to pay me more than I was making it out back. And I didn't know what to do to make money, and I literally stumbled across Colin's... uh, blackjack apprenticeship that night and just got addicted to it everybody laughed at me the whole whole time i was training but i just stuck with it and it went somewhere fortunately to make a real living at card counting you need a decent size bankroll that means more cash than most restaurant employees have laying around so dan started out playing small stakes the casino was on the way to Outback, and I'd stop in the casino before for like an hour, and I'd stop at the casino on the way home, and I'd even go during the graveyard shift once. I'd, I'd hit them up one, one time every shift, and then for about an hour and just leave every time my max bets were exposed. It was only two by 60, and I, I, I did it for about five, five weeks, and they, they eventually like backroomed me like aggressively and put me in handcuffs and stole my ID. Dan's top bet was two hands of $60, or... $120 total. That was the most he was betting. And only when the count was really good. But the casino treated Dan's small action like it was an Ocean's Eleven situation. Ultimately, this backroom incident changed Dan's life. He posted about it on the Blackjack Apprenticeship message boards. And through that post, he got hooked up with two other card counters. A guy that goes by Spartan and his partner Levi Mitch. They recruited Dan to join their team. It's funny, like Spartan drove all like eight hours to my house and tested me out for the weekend. And uh, he threw me five grand and said, get to work. And uh, it was the craziest thing. I, I never thought people would just do that. And I ended up losing like all my money. And then the money they threw me, 
I was like, man, these guys are going to break my legs. <laughs> Luckily, they just didn't care. and They knew that I'd get it back eventually, which I did. You can connect the dots between Dan's discovery of card counting to the incident in the back room to a career that has taken him all over the country. I never left the tri-state area my whole life. And uh, I've been everywhere except for pretty much Florida. I, I haven't been to Alaska or Hawaii, but every every, every state on the, the mainland, yeah. And I've been to Bahamas and Mexico also and Canada. We're going to hear about Dan's life in the Sprinter van. But first, let's meet some other card counters. This is Joe. And if there's one word that fits Joe, it's prolific. Blackjack has taken me all over the U.S. You know, I think, I think I've been backed off around 450 properties or so. So I've been able to see a lot of the country. When Joe discovered card counting, he didn't just dip his toe in the water. He dove in head first. I played a lot my first year. I played around, I want to say, I think about 1,000 hours my first year and was up like 500,000. So early on, I was able to bet like 2 by 500 or 2 by 1,000, I think, after like the first couple months of playing. But the first couple months of playing is like, that's me playing like every, like every single day, 10 hours a day. So when I first started playing... And I had like the $5,000 bankroll. I was like practicing and doing like one by five or sitting out to like two by 75 was my max. And then, you know, lost lost my initial $5,000 bankroll because I just decided to like bet like two by 500 when I had the chance. And it was just like the stupidest thing you could have done because I didn't know anything about like risk of ruin or anything like that. So, you know, I, I saved up 10 to 15,000. I started over again and I knew now I knew how to calculate my risk of ruin and all that stuff. So I played a lot more conservatively. And um, eventually, you know, I started the bulk of my playing was maxing out at like two by 1000 at like a true four or true five sassy red also makes a living as an advantage player but her approach differs slightly from joe's i've been backed off i think 50 times and that includes double back offset at the same properties sometimes i have lots of places i've been backed off more than once i have rarely been surprised by a back off i more more often than not i'm surprised how long i get Sassy Red plays a profitable bet spread, but she admits that sometimes her play can be affected by heat from the casino. I often will play a 1-24 to spread on a double deck game. I haven't done that lately. It's more like 1-10. to No, not 1-10. to 1-20. to 1-20 to is a little bit more of my, but that's on double deck. And my top bet, um, my really top bet, and I don't play that that often, is two by 400. It's more typically two by three. If I'm really weary and just don't want to deal with heat, I'll go to two by two is my lowest top bet. I feel like a real weenie when I'm betting two by two, when I feel like I should be betting two by four. Sometimes I'm just emotionally not, I'm just not in the mood. Sassy Red talked to me about playing in California and Maryland, and the South, and Vegas. But she had already been all over the country before she found Blackjack. I was married to a singer in an 80s rock band, and before I ever AP'd, I had spent the night in, in 
all 48 states on the mainland. I have not been to Alaska, Hawaii, either before APing or after, but I saw a lot of the country. My parents were adventurers too. So I had been on road trips from Maine to Oregon and Colorado to California um, before I was a teenager. And then when I was um, in my marriage, I I toured with the band for, I mean, they were touring for 12 years. I was with them, I would say for three or four. And I have actually spent the night in all 48 states on the mainland. I don't know that I would have done as well in in what I what what has been required of me in order to be a successful AP if I didn't have that previous travel experience because I live in a state with no casinos. I have to travel and at my stakes even if I did have local casinos, I would have still ended up having to travel. You know, I've done the drive through the nights. So I've done the, you know, I did the Motel 6s. This is why I, I work comped. No more Motel 6s for me. I like nice hotels. But I have all that experience, so I know what a hassle it is. So I haven't been taken by surprise by much of that. I think it prepared me. This episode is about life on the road. We're going to hear the highs and lows from the people who have seen a lot. And they've got the scars to prove it. This is Rymo. I think my first uh, losing streak was, you know, I think I was down maybe 30 or 35 grand and it took me a full 300 hours to, to lose it and get it all back. And I think the second one, I had lost a little over 57, close to 58,000, and it took me 400 hours to, to lose it all and get it all back. New card counters are told to prepare for long losing streaks, but humans are just not good at hearing information like that and understanding what it means. So learning to deal with losing streaks is something that can't be taught and can only be learned. When Rymo talks about 700 hours where his bankroll was flat or down, it's something of an achievement badge for being able to deal with the reality of card counting. Life's hard lessons are learned the hard way. Another challenge of life on the road is what you might call the logistics puzzle. Rymo can give us a hint about this puzzle. You know, I had a trip that was only supposed to be a one night or a two night trip, and it ended up turning into like a week long trip. It also ended up turning out to be like one of the worst trips I've had in my career, too, where my monetary loss was just, you know, pretty large. And it was just dreadful because I was in the middle of nowhere. I ended up running out of cash. And what really sucked was as I had like $25,000 in chips from like three different casinos. The problem is, is that all three of those casinos were all in opposite directions of each other. And they were all like maybe two to four hours away from each other, which was really annoying. So I had, it's, you know, I still had money on me, just it was in the form, you know, of chips that could not be used at the casino that I was really targeting. And I, yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. And of course, I mean, I think there have been times where I have been stuck on a play, not for days, I mean, but like, um, you know, sometimes you find something and, you know, you think you're getting ready to go home or you think you're getting ready to retire to the hotel. And then all of a sudden you are now at the casino for like 12 hours longer than you expected. And you're like, Oh man, this is miserable because I, all I want to do is just sleep and I just want to go to bed. But sometimes you get stuck on a play and in some cases you don't really even have an option to leave until the play is finished. These players have to decide how to get from point A to point B and then where to stay when they get there. And how much money to spend on travel? And how long should they plan to be in any one place? 
Their options include the entire spectrum, from the good, to the bad, to the ugly. Let's start with the best case. Rymo played enough at the Beau Rivage in Biloxi that they sent him free airfare and room offers. Like they sent me four like free junkets in the mail. Uh, so I, I ended up booking all four flights and, and, and room packages and everything. And I just never played at the bow where, you know, where I was getting the comp stuff. So I just decided not to play there, but I would play all the surrounding casinos. And so I saved a lot of money in that situation, just on airfare and everything. So it allowed me to take advantage of being able to travel to different parts of the country uh, with very little expenses. So I would basically take like the free flight and rooms and then on, you know, I maybe play a little bit in Biloxi. And then uh, on that same trip, I would maybe travel to, let's say, Baton Rouge. And then on the next trip, I'd come back and then uh, I'd play a little bit in Biloxi on the first night. And then I would go to Lake Charles. And then the following time I would maybe, uh, you know, go to New Orleans. In 2016 and 17, I think almost all of my room stays were comped. I was basically just utilizing free rooms, but not necessarily always playing at the places that were comping me, but I would just play the surrounding market though. When card counters get trespassed from a casino, it creates a real problem if they're also staying at the property. Casinos don't mind kicking you out of the room in the middle of the night. So you can see why Rymo made a point to not play where he was staying. But comped rooms aren't always going to be available. You have to play rated, which means playing with a player's card, to get the comps. Because player's cards can be checked against databases of known card counters, most Advantage players have a limited shelf life of playing rated. So it's not always going to be the Beau Ravage. I, I am a very frugal person, uh, sometimes to a fault. And, you know, even just most recently, I, uh, I ended up, uh, I was in town in this town where I was, I had to be there for at least a night. And I think I got like a really cheap hotel. I, I wish I would have opted for something a little bit more expensive because I ended up leaving with a bunch of bites from bed bugs, which was pretty terrible. That actually just happened like a couple weeks ago. Sometimes lodging choices are driven by cost. And sometimes they're driven by other realities. I have probably slept in my car a whole lot more than I probably care to admit. And anytime I've ever decided to do that, it's always been at like a truck stop. And, and the truck stops I usually choose are either like Loves or like the TA travel truck stops, uh, just because they're always like very well lit. And uh, they always have like a, a, a decent like food selection, like for hot food and everything. And uh, you can always find everything that you're looking for there, whether whether it's like medicine or whether it's like, you know, certain types of food or drinks or whatever. And it's always well lit. So and I probably have spent uh, a lot of nights uh, sleeping in, uh, in the parking lots of these uh, truck stops, you know. And not, and not just because I'm trying to like save money. I think it's it's mainly out of uh, you know convenience. I, I can't tell you how many times you know you're, you're playing somewhere till I don't know two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and then all of a sudden you get backed off. Now you need to get on the road. You could get a hotel, but like by the time you like find a hotel, you book it, you you check in, it's already like six or seven a.m. So you know you're you're spending like a hundred dollars to maybe sleep for a few hours and. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't count how many times I've probably just taken power naps in my car. Every so often there's some weird holiday or something you're out playing, you, you kind of forget that it's a holiday and then there's no rooms around at all. So then you just have to sleep in a rest area. I was sleeping in this rest area in my car 
and uh, you know went to Walmart, got some yoga mats and some pillows, and then made like a little bed set up in the trunk. Uh, but I just could not get any good sleep because it was Fourth of July. It was hot. There was this creepy guy like going around with a baseball bat, and he was just like looking into people's cars. Like it just was not a good place to be. Joe has also stayed in hotels of varying quality. Actually, most of the time, I kind of avoid Motel Six and below, only because like the I feel like the walls are just so thin, and I just don't like those flat pillows. And like generally, actually, Motel Sixes aren't that dirty. Like they're actually fairly clean, but like、uh, I just the thinness is just kills me. Like I just hear everything that's going on. It's just so loud. People are always like slamming doors, like you know, early in in the morning. So I usually won't do that. You know, I was playing in a in a place, and I waited too long to book a hotel, and for some reason, everything was booked up. So I just went to this like really cheap, like not non chain place, and I got got a room like at four in the morning. Walked into the room, and I just looked around. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, I will literally get better sleep in my car than sleeping in here because there it was just the dirtiest place, and there was just there was like hair in my bed, and then、uh, there was like chunks of the wall missing, like like just like huge holes in the wall just gone. Like there was like a big fight. Or something like it's just it was so and the bathroom oh the bathroom was so gross like the t- tub was just stained it was just horrible like so I was like really pissed off and I was also really tired so I was irritated so I went to the hotel manager I was like hey I want my money back like I'm not going to stay in this place and then he kind of fought me on it so we just had to we had this big back and forth and I, I just kind of went off on the guy I felt kind of bad afterwards but I was just like do you not have any respect for like what you do like for a living like that you can like have your rooms like this shitty for your guests to stay in like don't you take any pride And what you do at all, Dan says that the realities of travel drove him to his solution, which is his van. I hate flying personally. Like, I've always hated flying, so I've always, you know, leaned towards、uh, staying on the ground as much as I can, and that's what kind of got me into the whole van aspect. And it's just easier to make money like going to where I need to go because you can just connect the dots of all the casinos around the country. Like if I need to get to Delaware to Michigan, I can go through Maryland or Pennsylvania and hit six or seven casinos before I get there. So it just made sense to drive instead of fly. There's like 400 watt solar panel on the roof, and there's two two fans, like one for in and one for out, so I get good good circulation. Th- then I have a, a fridge and a freezer. It's really big. It's one of the biggest they offer, and I can store a lot of food and a lot of a lot of fresh water. And then I have a sink to brush my teeth, and it's it's just a little foot pump, so that doesn't run on power. And then I have a, a couple of USB ports and a couple outlets here, and I have a little. Heating cooktop so I can cook, cook my meals. It's a little dining area like that pulls out from underneath the bed. And originally, I had set up a gym underneath the bed. In the perfect world, I was going to work out, you know, anywhere I chose to. But I never used it once. Sadly, it's just so much more convenient to just find a plan of fitness. And it's about a full size bed, enough shelving to fit all my clothes. I love Dan's story because if the life of an advantage gambler is looking for angles and edges. Then it makes sense to apply it to the actual travel. I did blackjack for a good twelve to fifteen months without a van, and I've slept in the car many times, and it just sucks. Like I just can't. I can't sleep in a car. I'm six two, and the back seats don't work. I don't like sleeping in cars. So I stumbled across this, you know, van life. Was like, oh, that that looks great. Like stretch out in your own bed, have fridge and freezer and power and. Just park anywhere and set up camp. 
And so I outfitted the vein and it was the best decision I ever made, honestly. Like I just live in luxury where I drive. I don't have to worry about, you know, who's gonna comp me and I need to get my my identification to get a room. I don't have to rely on the casinos for like living anymore like I did when I was, you know, a red chipper. I burnt my name out really, really bad in the first little bit because I need those hotels and I needed those like I, I love the, the free comps. So I, I I maximize those very well without a van. I, I realized there was a point where I can't I can't give my name anymore and I, I'm not gonna get free room. I need like a solution and the van was that solution. So I loved going to casinos and parking in the parking lot and just going in for a shift and if I was too tired to drive I'd come out and sleep for a little bit go in for a shift and like it was just great like i didn't have to pay a hundred dollars for a crummy motel room and my room was just always right on the parking lot and it's pretty stealthy like i have real solar panels on the roof so i mean somebody who knows about you know van life would definitely know that i'm living in the van but most people don't really even it's just a typical cargo van yeah i mean there's no bathroom in here like luckily i'm a guy and you know I can use a jug for you know, 90% of everything, but Planet Fitness is, you know, do my showers for me, so I make it work. It's not, the, it's not the, you know, I don't think a, uh, like, like a woman would enjoy this lifestyle. When Dan talks about his van, I think this guy is a genius. He's talking about the solar panels, and I'm like, wow, he has it all figured out. Then I'm hearing about the refrigerator and the sink, and I'm Googling Sprinter van prices. Then Dan mentions the pee jug, and I think, you know, I might want to sleep on this idea. It's worth noting that life on the road reflects each person's values. For Sassy Red, it's important to stay in a nice place. For now, while I'm still able to take advantage of them, I typically will only go and play places that I know I can get a comp room in a decent place. So, I mean, it eases my burden because I'm not sleeping in my car and I'm not buying motel sixes when I can avoid it. I'm not. And, and when this, this train ride ends, I don't know if I'll keep doing it or not. I always said I would until I reached a certain goal, but it, it eases my burden. I mean, I did an 18 day trip once and my expenses, including airfare, gas, everything I think was like $300 for 18 days because I had rooms comped. I had like gas cards from the casinos and, you know, I ate on their dime. For me, it just feels easier. There is a flip side to that because I'm probably playing a little bit more politely than I would otherwise. And of course, that impacts EV. So there is a camp that, and I know lots of successful APs who are in this camp, they will generate a higher hourly EV and either pay for those luxuries or go without them, um, which I totally get. But for me, the game is stressful enough in and of itself. I want to know before I leave home where I'm going. Obviously, they could always kick me out. That's only happened once. Um, And it was when I was involved in some team play, and he was the one that kind of brought that down on me. But I've never been booted out of a room on my own. And I like to know where I'm going. I like to know that I'm going to be taken care of. It helps me to deal with the stress of the game. You can find a playable blackjack game in most states. The game conditions might differ, but there are a lot of places to play. So these people have been all over the country. Here's Rymo. 
and I really explored all over like the Midwest, like the upper Midwest, you know, so, and then uh, southern parts of the country, parts of like the West Coast as well. I've been to Vegas a lot. Uh, yeah, I've, I've basically explored a lot of different places within, and uh, I would say within like maybe even an up to an eight or maybe even 10 hour driving radius. Uh, and then I've flown to uh, the West Coast uh, or even the South quite a bit. Advantage players have some unique considerations that dictate whether they enjoy traveling to a place. For card counting anyway, Biloxi is probably one of the sweatiest places in the country. But for one reason or another, I've always enjoyed my time there. I think I like the the scenery with the beach and everything. Uh, I think I've always done really well, like results-wise. And I, I've been there like maybe 10 plus times now. And so I, I've always liked that area. There's a few places like in the Midwest that I probably won't mention, you know, specifically that I, maybe because I've spent a lot of time there or maybe I felt uh, comfortable where I felt like if, if I was going to get backed off, the back off would probably be pretty polite or uh, not very confrontational. And I've spent maybe a lot of hours there. So I think in those type of places, I've always been kind of excited to go because it's a familiar place to you and um, you feel comfortable there. Joe told me that the look of a place goes a long way. I think I really like the West Coast. That's sort of just the look. It's so dynamic, the landscape. I don't have as much fun driving through like Great Plains type areas where it's just miles of just corn or grass. Like that's not as exciting, you know? Sometimes the sunsets are cool, but other than that, like I'd much rather be like in sort of a mountainy, you know, like rocky area where the beach is always great. I think Washington's kind of fun. I've, I've made a trips to Washington several times and that's pretty fun because it's just a bunch of little places all over the, all over this state. I don't know. I just like little places most of the time uh, because the big places just seem to be a little bit better with like facial recognition and like databasing people. And I like the joints that kind of just like don't really communicate that much. I think it's easy to get your mind around the idea of going out on a blackjack trip for some period of time and then going home when it's over. But sometimes these people go out and they stay out for a long time. Joe lived at a casino for six weeks. So a little bit earlier on in my career, I was playing in Arizona, and I had just been playing at this place forever. It seemed like it was like maybe a month and a half, two months, every day. Just And they come up to my room every day. And every day I went to the host, and the host pretty much knew what I was doing right off the bat. But he didn't care because he was just in charge of giving me rooms and making sure I, I play well. So I would just go to his office and me and him would just, you know, kind of talk and just be like, what the hell is going on? Like by the end of like the third week, me and him were both very baffled at why they hadn't backed me off yet. And we would just say like, what? Like, what do you think is happening? Like, We'd both theorize about like what's going on, you know, upper level management and stuff like that. But, you know, every day just so need another room. Like, yep, still going to play like. And so that went on for a while to the point where it was like my birthday was coming up and, you know, they like the chef like asked me what my favorite cake was and they made me like this custom birthday cake. That was the longest I've stayed at a casino in one casino was like straight up just like every day open to close like for a month and a half. And that's not the only time Joe has done this. I I was playing at this little casino in Wisconsin, I think, and I didn't think much of it. Like, I was like, I'm just going to go in here, try to get a free room and, uh, you know, just play this like semi decent double deck. I mean, it wasn't great. It was just like, what I, it was just an average game. So I played it, got the room 
And the next morning I was sort of just like, well, I'm here. Let me just keep at it and just see how it goes. I didn't really expect to be there very long. And then three weeks later, like Christmas goes by and I'm still there. Like they had this really great promotion at the time. It was like, if you're there every day um, in December, then it was like, or like 12 days. And it was like the 12 days of Christmas or something like that. So that each day it like doubles your like free play or something like that, that you stay. So that was a, that was really great. Dan has also camped out. Even though lots of card counters ignore Colorado because the limits for blackjack are low, Dan found value there. To counteract the low table limits, Dan and his teammate just played more hands in high counts. And because the casino let them keep playing, they weren't wasting time on the road. We were at this place who were, who were letting us play. I guess I was saying it was, it was actually in Colorado, Blackhawk. They were just letting us play every single day. And we lived there for about three months playing. We were like the biggest high rollers there. We, we actually got dinner with like the, the casino manager and like our hosts and everything. And they're like, what, what do you guys do for? And he actually has a day job. So he was good. And then he, he almost spit his water out, like laughing about this. But when they asked me what I did, it was like, I sell exotic shoes online. And he just thinks that's the funniest, funniest thing. They say, you know, you should make up a lie that you know stuff about. I was a sneakerhead growing up. I know everything about, you know, Jordans and Zog shoes. So it just made sense to just tell people that. But my friend was like, why would you say such a ridiculous thing? I was like, it makes sense to me. Like Dan's van offers certain freedoms and certain limitations. Honestly, the van doesn't have heat, which is like the only downside to it. I, I'm in the process of getting a, a heater for it. But for that, I've been for the past three years, I've kind of followed the weather. So I'm down south for so the winter, you know, Mexico, Arizona, Louisiana, Mississippi in the wintertime. And then in the, in the summertime, I'll, I'll head north, stay away from the hot heat. I kind of flip flap back and forth depending on what the, um, what the weather is like. Sassy Red usually flies for her trips, but she's also done the multi week driving trip. Like I said, I did an 18-day trip recently. That was really long. Um, and I actually think that one was a driving trip, which is unusual for me. I think it started here in Tennessee. I drew, It was around Thanksgiving, I think. Um, I have a brother that lives uh, a, an hour and a half from St. Louis, west of St. Louis. So I drove, hit a place on the way, played St. Louis. Then I started south. Um, I went down through Mississippi, through Louisiana, across the Gulf Coast, and then came back up to come home, um, which there's nothing. I mean, once you hit Biloxi, there's nothing between Biloxi and Nashville, unless you go back west a little ways. But that was that was hard. Rymo runs a very active internet forum for advantage gamblers called Blackjack the Discord. On any given day, the Discord conversation might include slot machines or Bitcoin or beating craps or how much money you should keep in casino chips. Rymo is the steady guiding hand for this forum. He's like a camp counselor, patiently overseeing low-level chaos. Because of his position at the center of the Discord channel, Rymo has a lot of friends that are advantage gamblers. And so Vegas is an important hub. Vegas I always will kind of have a special place in my heart as well. Um, even though in my opinion, it's probably one of the worst places in the country to count cards, but, uh, 
I've always had a ton of fun there just because it's the one place where a lot of, you know, me and my friends, we will end up meeting up and we will just hang out and it's, it's a good time. And we, yeah, we will play uh, intermittently in between and everything, but I really enjoy just the experience of hanging out with friends, people I don't get to see uh, very often, you know, maybe I get to see them two or three times a year. So I, I like Vegas as well. It wasn't uncommon for me to hear that one pro liked a place and another hated it. Usually they were describing different parts of the same place. I hate Vegas, but I wouldn't say I dread it because every time I get to go to Vegas, I get to see the people that I'm connected to through BJA and that always motivates me. Um, I play less and less in Vegas. It's exhausting. You know, just dealing with hit and runs is exhausting. Vegas is so loud and it just takes so long to walk anywhere. It's completely fake. It preys on people. It promises things it can't deliver. One of my highest values for me personally as a person is to under-promise and over-deliver. And I have an immense amount of respect for people who present themselves realistically and then over-deliver on what they've presented. Vegas over-promises and under-delivers. It does not care about the pain that it causes. The heat is a pain in the ass. The heat, the literal heat, and then the casino heat. Vegas is just a pain in the ass. And they they OSN you, they flyer you. I got flyered in Vegas a year ago. Um, so, you know, that's part of it. It's It's just hard to get around. It's exhausting. I just, I don't like Vegas at all. These pros have some other places they don't like. And the two most common reasons they give are casino heat and the logistics of getting there the northwest just because like it's beautiful there like i love driving down that coast road but it's like it's so out there and once you get there like you you get you get flyer they're just flyer happy once you're flyer like you just get kicked out after kicked out you drove so far because there's really no casinos like before the north like before like uh, washington and oregon it's kind of like a dead zone where like Idaho, Montana, the Nebraska, like it's, it's a hike to get out there. And then it's just, you get flyered and all, all you got is just a nice coastal view. Like <laughs> I wish they weren't as flyer happy as they were. A lot of times it's associated to the driving conditions. I can think of like some places like maybe Southern Indiana or even like going to Tunica. Like when you're driving in the middle of like nowhere and there's hardly any street lights like on the highways, it's not very busy and um, or there's just like no scenery whatsoever. It's just all plain grassy fields or farmland. Uh, those are usually not my favorite places to go to just because I, I dread those, uh, the driving, you know, there or just the scenery that's on the way. Or if there's a place like, let's say that I think is just either really sweaty and the conditions are not that great. And, you know, the driving conditions are, are terrible and the scene, you know, the scenery is bad too. Like it's a mixture of everything. When I think of travel, I think of small pleasures. I mean little things that have the ability to make me irrationally happy. For instance, I like good blackout curtains in a hotel, or quiet air conditioning, or the cookies that some hotels give you at check-in. These are things you wouldn't write home about, 
But when you're on the road, maybe you're just looking for some small bit of comfort. Our card counters all mention small experiences they seek out on the road. I have spent quite a bit of time traveling and playing through the South. And so the one thing uh, that I'm convinced that basically uh, supports all of like Mississippi and Louisiana's economy is either Dollar Generals, casinos, and Waffle Houses. When you go to Biloxi, it's funny. Like, I, I think I looked it up. I, I asked Siri, like, show me the nearest Waffle House or something. And I want to say like 11 locations popped up within like an eight mile radius. It was something ridiculous. I do like the Waffle Houses just because they're always 24-7. So a lot of times when I would meet other APs, uh, we would somehow always end up at like a Waffle House or something because they're always 24 hours and the food is always really cheap. And I, I have been able to find some healthier options that I can get at Waffle House that I don't feel so guilty about eating. So so I've always enjoyed visiting the Waffle House. Uh, it's just kind of been like a... Uh, a good meetup spot, uh, especially like if you're in the South, I, they, they have them all over the place too. I mean, I, I've seen them like in the Midwest and everything, but uh, they're a lot more prominent in the South. In all of my travels in the U.S., the place that like food wise that really stands out to me is I think also because it was so unexpected was this uh, amazing ramen place in Oklahoma City. Well, actually, it was like 20 minutes east of Oklahoma City. It was just so phenomenal. And like, in my mind, I've debated like very shortly, do I want to pay for a plane ticket just to eat this ramen place because it's that good? I have like specific places around the country where like I won't even go there to play blackjack, honestly, but the food will just bring me there. Like I'll go out of my way like four hours to get Kansas City barbecue. I won't even play in Kansas City. Like I'll take the long way around just to get some Kansas City barbecue if I'm, you know, anywhere near the, the city. Definitely Gates in Kansas City. The one on Brooklyn Avenue has to be the best food I've had as an AP. But it's it's a toss up because then then you have like there's a, there's a great great seafood place down in uh, Louisiana called Seafood Palace that just has the best gumbo I've ever eaten in my life. The road is a place where tiny luxuries are going to have an outsized impact on your feeling of well being. I like a host who will give me a spa treatment. That's only happened once, though, so I don't want to sound like that's like a big deal because I've only gotten it once. I like good pillows and good towels. They make me happy. And I get really annoyed when there are not USB ports next to beds anymore. I'm like, update your hotel room for crying out loud. So that makes me happy when there's a USB port on the night side table. We're going to pause for now, but in part two, we're going to hear more highs and lows from life on the road. I love the fact that there is no constraints on my time that I don't put on myself. I have nobody else evaluating my job performance except me. Nobody can tell me where to work, when to work, how long to work, um, what to put up with or not to put up with in me. And, and that's really liberating. <laughs> Risk of Ruin is written and produced by me. Special thanks to the guests, Sassy Red, Joe, Rymo, and Dan. An extra special thanks to Colin Jones of Blackjack Apprenticeship. I got in touch with the guests through his message board, which I really appreciate. <laughs>